everybody. Welcome to our event on cybersecurity, financials, and digital marketing. These three things are much more connected than you may realize, and they are critical that we become masters of as we go into the next couple years and even today. I am so excited because today I'm joined by RG Alliance's Ryan Sathoff. If you don't know about Ryan, he is one of the co-founders of the company, a true expert in financial reporting, financial analysis, and all of these important things that go into the financial structure of a company. So excited to have him here. I also have with me the president of the computer admin, Kevin Frankzek. Kevin is a true expert in cybersecurity, data management, and he is going to teach us a ton today about how to be safer online. Both of these gentlemen are people I have worked with for five plus years and are true experts in the space. Today, it's really about hearing from them. It's really about educating you on financial reporting in cybersecurity. And then I'll also be tying it together with digital marketing. We are being asked about this so much. How can you protect data? How can you ensure that there's no cybersecurity threats with the organization? How can you make sure that marketing teams understand financial reporting and can connect the financial reporting to the digital marketing strategy? As a business owner, I've been managing Ignite Visibility's digital marketing by the financial reporting numbers for over 10 years now, and I'm very excited to share the system with you that I've used. So today we're going to get into the exact reporting that you need to understand to understand a company's financials. We're going to talk about how to structure a digital marketing budget off of that. And then we're going to get into the four layers of security that you need to understand to protect your marketing assets and just kind of company overall. It's going to be a great event. Let's go ahead and jump into it and let's meet Ryan and Kevin and kick this thing off. Okay, everybody, we are so excited to have you here. Welcome to our presentation on cybersecurity, financials, digital marketing, and why all three are critical to your brand's future. This is going to be a great presentation today. We're going to cover what to expect in a financial one sheet, how to use a financial statement to inform digital marketing spends. I'm going to be covering that portion, how to connect digital marketing to financial goals, how to set up a proper company technology stack to protect data from security breaches. This is a huge deal in modern day and will be in the future as well. So really excited to get into that, which security measures to put in place to protect your data. And then we're going to get into best practices to protect digital marketing assets, including email testing, data management, accounting systems. We have some really exciting stuff towards the end of this presentation. We will also be giving out a actionable checklist on all the things that you need to have your financials in order, in order to have your digital marketing, budgeting, planning in order, and in order to have your cybersecurity in order at the end of this presentation. So make sure to stay to the end because at the end, we're going to be giving you this handout. Jumping right into it, we have our speakers here today. We have Ryan Saithoff, Kevin Franchek, and these are two gentlemen who I have worked with for over five years, true experts in what they do. I am so excited to have them here with us today. Ryan is a managing partner at RG Alliance, and Kevin is the president of the Computer Admin, two excellent organizations. Ryan, would you like to say hello and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you, John. Thank you, everybody, today for being on. Uh, really, we want to help business owners. My background has been as a business owner, and as I found going through my career, 
I couldn't get good information. And once I started producing that for myself, I decided I actually wanted to build a business that gave people good financial information. Uh, and that's what the business is built on and delivering that intelligence. So we've been doing that since 2013. Thank you so much, Ryan. And so everybody, we are going to learn from Ryan today how to do basic financial reporting and analysis, which is critical to a business and can help us dictate our digital marketing spend. This is one of the best secrets in digital marketing when you actually can educate your team on what they need to be marketing and how and how they need to build the pipeline. You can have a much better performing business. Ryan, cannot wait to hear from you in just a moment. Kevin, would you like to say hello? Thanks, John. Hey, everybody. Uh, the internet is a scary place nowadays, and I'm here to teach everybody uh, how to protect your data, uh, your computers, your company from the internet in general. Thank you so much, Kevin. And everybody, when Kevin gets into his section, you're going to learn about security measures you need to be taking both through email, through social media, how to set up your passwords, how to make sure that you follow a four-step process so your computer doesn't get hacked, people don't take over your systems, and we don't have all of these terrible things that have been happening online, or at least to the best of our abilities, make it so that we can protect ourselves uh, to some degree. So Kevin, cannot wait to hear from you later. Everybody, we have a ton of value here today. Can't wait to dive in. My name is John Lincoln, CEO of Ignite Visibility. If I haven't met you, I've been running the business for 10 years now. Digital marketing is my passion. And I see this huge emergence in financial, cybersecurity, and digital marketing. We're so excited to educate you on the three today and to have an open conversation about how they work together. So starting us off, Ryan is going to talk to us a little bit about building a dashboard, about financials, sit back and relax and get ready just to learn a little bit more about the financial side of business that maybe you didn't know before. Ryan, I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to you. Thank you, John. Everybody gets into their financials. And the first thing you think about is piles and piles, pages and pages of spreadsheets or reports that are very difficult to consume. It doesn't always have to be like that. Just because your accounting system spits out that kind of a report doesn't mean you have to settle for that kind of information. And so the idea here is to think about what kind of better business intelligence can I draw from the system that I have and from the information that's available. And what's amazing is we all have mountains of data, but turning that data into intelligence is a skill. And so we wanna give you a few ideas today about what's possible to help you make informed decisions. And everyone's at different levels of their business. Some of you are business owners and responsible for the macro and the micro. Some of you are responsible for categories of the business, departments of the business, or even a revenue stream. And anybody in any aspect of the business can utilize some of this content to help you know, am I on track, am I off track? And the first question people have to ask is, you know, what do I need to be looking at? Because at the beginning of the financials, it's overwhelming. And so the first step is to think about how do I create a dashboard that gives me a high level look and shows me where to go dig. So here's an example of what a boardroom dashboard, we call it a boardroom dashboard could look like. And there's some elements here that you may be familiar with, you may not be familiar with, but I'll start with the top left. and. T12 is trailing 12 months and everyone thinks about their business in terms of how much revenue they've received or a department and how much revenue you've generated. But you have this seasonality. A trailing 12 takes all previous 12 months and compares them to the previous period's 12 months. 
And so you lose all that seasonality and movement where February might have fewer days than March and you think February is a bad month. But if you take seasonality and look at the prior 12 months, you incorporate all of that movement. And as you think about the profit and loss, you've got revenue and looking at in a trading 12 gives you a really good indication. Are you growing or are you shrinking? When you look at gross margin, you can see, am I moving on my margin and why? And the answer is not what's changed. It's do I need to be looking at this or not? And then, of course, your operating income, how am I doing? And what you'll find on these trends is if I'm generating more revenue but trending down, like you see in this report, what am I doing? I'm doing more work for less profit, and why is that? And then the P&L is sort of your what's happening, your symptoms. You go to the doctor, you explain I have a headache. Your balance sheet is your vital. You know, they take your blood pressure. They take your weight. They take your temperature, and if something is wrong there, they put you in the hospital and don't even bother to ask what's going on. And that's what your balance sheet is. And cash, everyone says in a business, cash can be king. Uh, it gives you an idea of where I'm at. And what's interesting is where your cash position is today doesn't always mean that it's good or bad unless you look at it in comparison to where you've been or where you were at at a similar period last year. And that's what we're showing you here is going all the way back to December in the top right, you can see at the end of every December, am I up or down? And you can start to see trends and know whether you need to course correct. And I've made significant mistakes in my own businesses in the past by not paying attention to what the trends in the balance sheet are showing. So here's just an example of what a boardroom dashboard at a very macro level could look like to help you manage your business as a starting point. Ryan, thank you so much. And for all those marketers out there, you're thinking, how would I use this for marketing? How is this even play any role? Well, if you're heavy on cash and you're in a great place from a monthly gross profit perspective from your service line, that gives you extra money to then fuel your marketing so that you can then scale the business further into the future. If you're really tight, it might be a time when you need to pull back on spend or watch margins a little bit more closely. On the other end, you could know that you have your biggest season coming up. So you need to generate more revenue. You need to generate more cash. You need to double down so that you can get back into a good place for your business from a financial health perspective. So what's so critical is that marketers understand the gross profit that they're operating off of for the business line that they're in, the amount of cash that they have access to, because that can play a big role in dictating budgets. And that's what our financial professionals are looking at when they are approving certain budgets for certain tactics. Ryan, talk to us a little bit about what to expect in a financial one sheet. Yeah, so when you look at a one sheet, we want to move away from those giant spreadsheets and pages and pages because a question you always want to ask is if you're looking at whatever data you're currently looking at, if it doesn't make you go want to change what you're doing or reinforce what you're already doing in a meaningful way, it's probably the wrong set of data. And so getting it in one page that's consumable is really, really important. And analyzing from that information what you're doing well and where we can improve is critical to helping you make those steps, both at a department level and at a company level. So here's an example of where you can see what John just mentioned, which is trends in the prior months going backwards. And you can start to look at, hey, where are our revenues higher or lower in previous months? And this is a layer below that trailing 12 we showed you on the dashboard, the boardroom dashboard. 
with corresponding margins and profitability. And so as you're looking at a, a layer down, you start, to be, you start to be able to see where those decisions start to come. When can I afford to spend? Where can I not afford to spend? When am I coming into a month that's generally higher than another month? What's changed or happened on my margin? Did I sell a greater volume of a product than I expected in a certain period versus another? But this gives you a layer deep in one page to really look at the last 13 months and how your performance organizationally has been, or even at a department level where it's been, because this can be generated at a department level as well. When you look at revenue, it's just a big bucket of information. Uh, knowing where your revenue is coming from can be critical. And a lot of us have to deal with CRMs. We have to deal with, with Salesforce reports, wherever that data is coming from. And it can be sometimes overwhelming to consume. Getting a clear understanding of what somebody did in what month, what they did year to date, and where your concentration of revenue comes from can give you really fast and really key direction on where to deploy some of those marketing dollars. Because you know whether someone's overperforming, underperforming, where they've been, and did that meet your expectation? This is an example of something that can show you that right up front without having to dig through piles of reports. And with all the latest advances that we have in digital marketing now, we're now able to run ads based off of specific customers that have come in and converted. That's something called value-based bidding. So in the case of value-based bidding, we would be able to run ads based off of customer one, two, three, four, five, and six. And when we're able to connect our digital marketing to the clients who have come in, and we know the ones that make up the majority of the business, we want to replicate that and figure out what went into those tactics to attract those customers and what do those customers look like? So this is a great report for everybody to understand and then incorporate into their future for digital marketing. Ryan, talk to us a little bit about business intelligence. Business intelligence gets down into details around what type of work you're doing, what the results of that work is, whether you're growing or shrinking, uh, where things are coming from, because you can easily misassess why you are now in the spot that you've found yourself. You might look at something and say, well, my revenue's up and everything's great. But when you actually look at a level of each revenue type or each client type, you might find that you're well below expectations in a category that you're actually celebrating success. Or vice versa, you might find a smaller revenue stream is growing at a much faster pace. And you might be deploying marketing dollars sales efforts in the wrong place by not looking in a simple way at where that revenue is coming from and what that makeup is. And here's a couple of examples here on how to break that revenue out in a simple way to know, hey, does this meet the expectation? Which revenue channel is growing or shrinking both backwards, but as you start to look forwards, John will talk about budgets and forecasts in a little bit, but Layering this with an understanding of where you've been and who's spending and what channels and what categories are going well or what's not going well can help you with that decision-making process in a much more effective and efficient, timely way. When we're thinking about revenue channels, Brian, a question for you, you know, you, you mentioned a moment ago, some of the metrics of a healthy revenue channel, which would be gross profit, net income, revenue growth, you know, wh what is gross profit? What is net income? What else goes into looking at a healthy revenue channel for people who are managing uh, a product that they're selling, series of products or, or a specific business line? 
Oh, it's a great question because it's easy to be enthralled with revenue and revenue is a key component. And you look at the dollars coming in, but without a corresponding understanding of the cost to produce that revenue, if you sell a good, uh, how much does it cost to actually procure the raw materials? How much does it cost to assemble? What's the shipping cost to bring it in? The warehousing cost to stage it and store it? How much marketing dollars do you have to spend to acquire a client for client cost of acquisition? Without understanding those pieces, you might chase revenue in a way that is the wrong kind of revenue because your costs are out of alignment with the effort you put in. Or you might determine your pricing is incorrect. And so without aligning your revenue type with the profitability of that, and that's your revenue, simply revenue minus the costs to produce that revenue, that's your gross profit. Now, all that's nice, but you have to have a certain number of gross profit dollars to stay alive in business to cover that overhead. Overheads are rents and salaries of payroll and administration and office supplies and meals and entertainment and travel and all the things that actually keep a business functioning. The result of all of that is your operating income and understanding do you have enough gross profit coming through the system from your sales to cover that overhead? Those are the kinds of information you need. And knowing that by channel helps you make strategic decisions about what you should be pushing, what you should be selling, and whether your price point's effective and whether your marketing dollars are producing the result you're looking for. Really great information for all of our marketers out there and business owners who are trying to think about targeting gross profit and revenue levels by business line, as well as net income. Talk to us a little bit about contribution margin. Yeah, and this is an easy one to forget. And, and what's interesting is everyone's got contribution margin, whether you're pulling a report on it or not, it exists. And it's easy to think about revenue in terms of dollars coming. And it's easy to think about clients in terms of who actually the client that's buying is. But when you start to think about margin type and contribution margin by channel, yeah, you start to look at, hey, are my efforts towards, in this case on the screen, distributors or wholesale or food service this is just an example of the types of information you can pull, but the way you go about pricing and the way you go about reaching each of those channels can be very, very different. So recognizing and understanding the behavior of what you sold and the result of that by channel in a simple way, you know, again, not if this takes hours and hours of someone compiling, you're already way down the line and can't make quick, effective decisions understanding that and revenue type and that contribution margin of how much does each of those channels actually deliver towards covering that overhead, that business cost is critical because you could chase the wrong channel and miss opportunities in places that you're generally far more profitable. So that, that's why this revenue type contribution margin can be so important. And all of everybody has it. Every channel, every aspect of the business has a contribution margin what am I delivering to help cover overhead through the channel that I represent or overall in the business? Everybody listening, you should understand your contribution margin because it's so important for marketing budgeting. If you're thinking 10% of revenue goes towards a marketing budget for a certain channel that has a certain contribution margin breakdown, you can use that to fuel each of these revenue drivers and create better budgeting to fuel future growth for the areas that have more revenue. That's the power of what we're talking about here today. What about budgets versus actuals? Yeah, you know, displaying a budget versus actual, 
many businesses, many departments have to live within budgets, work within budgets and deal with forecasts. And one of the biggest challenges that we've seen that I've experienced is a very difficult ability of delivering it in a way you can consume it. And so simplifying down the budgets and comparing that to where you were in the current month, where you've been at year to date, but also looking in this bottom section, looking at that forecast to know where are you going? So much of business intelligence and financials end up being backwards looking, rearview mirror looking. And when you look at where you've been and understand that that's only a small sliver, financials are the starting line. Most people think of them at the end, but they're not, they're the beginning. It's what you plan to do as your forecast with the information you have is really important. And then putting that in a way that you can do something about it and see it simply, that's the idea behind this one page where you can start to see today where I'm at year to date, but also, okay, now where am I going and what do I do with this? And is this a realistic plan? You can engineer a result like you see here. If you know where you've been, it's like the dot on the mall map. But if you really want to get to the store you plan for, you got to know where you are, but also where everything is and where you're planning to go. And this is an example of how to simplify that kind of information down. And so when we're looking at this forecast that's been put in place, we see a declining gross profit, but we see a decent and flat net operating income, which is interesting. If you were looking at this and, and coaching somebody how to look at this, what takeaways would you have? Would that be looking to reduce certain expenses to get that gross profit in a better place? In, in, any notes? Oh, no, it's a great question. And one of the reasons why we showed this example is an alarm bell might go off that says, hey, somehow our cost of goods has gone up, our gross profits declining. It's why the revenue type that we just showed a minute ago is so important. Let's say you start the year selling a significant amount of business through your retail channels that has a much higher margin. But your strategy is I wanna get into the wholesales or I wanna even get into the distributor channels. Well, those are gonna yield a much lower margin, but generally significantly higher dollars. And so in this case, you look at gross revenues and you see the dollars scaling drastically. Well, that might not be possible at the retail level where you have much higher profitability by sale but the revenue scales at a lower margin, but yields a very similar operating income. And now you've got a much broader, much more diverse, much stronger business. So if you just look at the gross profit margin by itself, you might mistake that for a problem in your costs when it's really an effective use of the business channels. But without knowing that, looking at that, you'll miss an opportunity. Uh, that's the keynote that we wanted to show here is revenue by type and knowing where your margins are coming from and contribution margins important. And here you're getting a better result than you were getting at the beginning of the year by diversifying and going strategically with the kind of business that you're looking at on a channel. It's really amazing insights, everybody. Understand your contribution margin, understand your gross profit by channel, understand your potential for net income as you scale revenue to a channel. And what that means if you invest more in one channel than, than another for the overall business bottom line, all of this stuff is within our control. As marketers, it's critical. We know what to focus on and can make this business case because it's all about the business at the end of the day. Talk yep. to us a little bit about department level reports. I find this is something that a lot of people miss. All of us are using or being measured by some form of financial metric, uh, whether you're a business owner or you're just running a department or you're in sales. It's easy to forget 
that there's data available that can help both manage a department if you're in charge or manage it if you're trying to deal with how many departments you have. And so is the department on track to reach its business objectives? And it's so difficult to extract that information, even though it's there, is there's ability to pull that information out of your, your systems, out of your content, out of those pages and pages of spreadsheets in a simple way. And you could have business lines that aren't even meeting objectives and aren't even profitable that maybe you shouldn't be focusing on. And this is very common, especially for, for newer businesses. What about KPI sales and labor? This is a great one because everyone thinks about financial metrics as dollars and cents, margin, cost of goods. And some of the most powerful KPIs, and those are key performance indicators, can really be measured by percentages or by headcount to understand how much revenue do we generate by person? And how does that line up against my revenue costs? And are they moving simultaneously? Are we growing that? Are we more effective with our revenue? So understanding how your sales team versus your labor costs and your revenue associated with them, how they're matching up, you start to know, are we being more effective with our staff or less? Are we generating more revenue with the same people or less? Do we need to hire or not? And with this kind of information displayed this way, you can see that very, very quickly. Are we trending the right direction? Especially when you start to layer in forecasts, you can start to say, am I off track or am I on track? Is what I expect for paid media or earned media mirroring or matching what I'd expect from a labor cost standpoint? And knowing and using your headcount is a key driver of knowing the right point in time at which you need to make an adjustment or reinforce what's going well. And here's another example of, if you don't want to see a chart, you can plot it in a way that tells you, am I by client type, by person, by size, where are things actually moving in a way that I know which place to adjust? An example here, if you look at the bottom left, you say that any client under $1,000 in this chart is a bad client. But when you actually look at the bottom left, the same plot of that data demonstrates that actually most of the clients are above the target gross profit. There's only a small handful that are below that are really far below. And so if you look at just one level, you'll make a decision to cut everything in that category when really all you had to do is adjust two or three items. So having it displayed in a way that's meaningful, that gives you the right information, the right, the right decision can transform how you manage a department or manage a business or the unit that you're dealing with. Thank you so much for that information. I'm gonna come back to you in a little bit. And now what we're gonna do is tie this together in with determining a budget. So many marketers, they don't have a clear criteria for setting cost per acquisition goals across the different networks. And so what we want to do here is we want to create a good cost per acquisition framework and have a really good understanding of our KPIs. So a best practice is to always have 10% of overall company revenue dedicated to marketing and never significantly pull back or exceed from that target. So if you're going from you know, a million to $2 million a year, you still wanna stay at that 10% mark going to your marketing budget. And this approach, it allows you to tailor your marketing plan to a percentage rather than an absolute number. So you know that you're always scaling consistently. You're always investing more in marketing. You're always using that to drive future growth. 
So in the big picture, this process is really straightforward. You want to develop a high-level understanding of the needs of both your business and your customer, and then match your digital marketing objectives to those needs. So when you're thinking about your business and you're thinking about your customer, you want to make sure that you are uh, setting up a good cost per acquisition and amount of revenue that drives to that. And Ryan, I want to ask you a quick question. When you're looking at marketing budgets, what general percentage are you seeing for marketing budgets? Is it 10%, 20%? Does it vary much? It does vary depending on the industry and, and what state and what state you're in, right? If it's direct new client acquisition, I'll see constantly organizations push a lot more to a brand new client of acquisition. If it's to push a product, I'll see it more in that 10%, but it's not uncommon in client acquisition to see some of those costs go as high as 20%. But a lot of times marketing gets ignored and it could be as low as two, 3%. And usually I find those businesses that are planning that way don't succeed with the kind of growth that they'd expect. It's just not putting enough resources behind the marketing. Really good insights. And, and in general, everybody, we want to start with, you know, one to three advertising channels and scale from there. When these companies get bigger and bigger, you get into, uh, you know, hundred million, billion dollar companies, they're in 25 to 50 different channels and they understand where all their conversions are coming from. In addition to that, they're regularly producing forecasts for the next day, the next week, the next month, the next quarter. And this allows their marketing team to know what they're forecasting for the future and then drives the business for the timeframes uh, that they need with an accurate return. In addition to that, it's, it's important to always be testing. So if you're looking at your overall marketing budget, setting 10% aside so that you're consistently putting 10% into testing new channels, because that could have a cost per acquisition that's better than the three to five or 25 or 50 different channels that you have. And if that's the case, you're going to want to allocate some budget over that way. And in general, you never want to have more than 30% of your marketing customers coming from one channel. You never have want to have more than 30% from one channel, because if you do, it puts too many eggs in one basket and you want to have a diversified portfolio of customer acquisition. One of the really cool things that you can do is budget pacing. So when you're looking at how much you're spending, being able to forecast over the course of the month and then making sure that you're hitting the target that you're looking for for spend, but then also for leads. So when we look at this chart, we can see our budget pacing and we can see that uh, basically on a daily perspective, are we pacing towards the overall goal for the month? We can also see our leads pacing. Are we pacing for our overall leads for the month? And as we forecast through the rest of the month, are we headed in the right direction? Is the line on par with what we forecasted? Here we can also see our spend by channel. Now this is only three channels. Many people are in five channels, 10 channels. We can see our projected spend. We can see our projected leads. We can see also our cost per lead in reports such as this as well. Now, while that's great, we really want to make sure we're finally tying the lead back to the customer and then not just the customer, but the amount of revenue that was produced by the customer and not just the amount of revenue that was produced by the customer, but also the lifetime value. If we can 
can do that, we can better refine our budgeting by channel and we can better refine our targeting by audience and we can generate more high quality leads that are higher yielding customers and help give us some of those amazing metrics that were positive that Ryan is showing in his part of the presentation. So it's really important that you identify your core business goals and transparent costs. So it's important to know that, you know, if you want to grow 30% in a year that you think about first from the business side, how many products do I need to produce? So I have enough inventory. How many people do I need to bring in? How many customers uh, am I going to need? And how many people am I going to need to fulfill that, that gross profit element that we are looking at? How much do we need to expand our operation in order to make it so that our business can handle all of this additional marketing customer acquisition that we're driving? And then what's the production timeline? So if we are able to say, and go to marketing and say, look, marketing can get another 5 million in sales. Do we actually have the inventory to fulfill that? So what's really important is when you're connecting financials to your, to your digital marketing, you want to be thinking about how many products am I going to be producing? You know, how many people am I going to have if I'm a business services company? And how much marketing do I need to drive in order to fulfill that? And then what's my budget for that? And does it align with the cost per customer, the cost per acquisition, the lifetime value of the customer, because all of this is now tied together for the first time. And it's really, really exciting. So once you understand your business goals, you can begin to map out your digital marketing program. When you're mapping out your digital marketing program, you want to think about how much are competitors spending and on which channels. We are able to see all of this. We're able to see everywhere your competitors are spending and which channels, right? And that's helpful. But, you know, there's more to business, like the things that we just went over, than what your competitors are spending. They could have an entirely different contribution margin, entirely different gross profit. They could be focusing on different strategic plans, but it's nice to know how much they're spending by channel. Then you want to think about how much are you spending and on which channels? What's the delta between that? What's your return on ad spend? What's your cost per sale? What's your customer lifetime value for each channel? Do you have the tracking in place to see this? This is one of the biggest things. People don't take the time to invest a few thousand dollars to track their leads, where they came from, which revenue was from, which advertising channel, and where did that final sale actually come from? This is so important. That's why it's critical. We set up some of the newer things like value-based bidding, enhanced conversions, two things from Google that allow you to attach a final customer to your advertising spend. You also want to think about how much do you think you can expand your current channels? The issue is that every marketing channel has a saturation point. And once you reach that saturation point, you then want to pivot into another channel. So it's critical that you understand where the saturation point is. Within Google search, there might only be search demand for 100,000 searches a month in your category. From that point, you might want to go into Bing search. You might want to go into another search engine. And then eventually, you might want to move out of search demand, and you might want to move into an awareness play. So it's important that you understand when each channel is tapped out. And then which channels are you not in yet? 
in digital marketing now, there are about 20 different places. These are you know different ad networks that are major ad networks where you can advertise online. So it's important you understand that systematic approach, where you start, where the highest demand is, where the lowest cost per acquisition is for the customer, but has the highest return in, in terms of customer revenue. And then you systematically build out that framework and your costs might increase, might increase, might increase a little bit, but you're business will grow from a revenue perspective as well. One of the things that's really critical is you saw the data management plan that Ryan laid out. It's really important that you have a data management plan as well for your own business from a digital marketing perspective, right? So you want to determine a plan for how you can collect and utilize data. And the big goal here is simple. With every click from every prospective customer, you want to make sure you're collecting their data through a legal method. The more data you can get, the better. With cookies going away, with us moving towards first-party data, with us moving towards you know, actual customer data in our CRM, this is a really, really important time. So you want to develop a report on your customers with the highest lifetime value, a report on your customers paying the most now. You want to be able to sort your highest paying and lowest paying customers by date range. You want to be able to segment your customers by specific products and categories of products that they're interested in. When you can do this, you can advertise more to your specific customers, and you can also create something called similar audiences, and you can advertise to people who are similar to your current customers. In addition to this, when you go inside of Google Analytics, you look at your conversions, you look at your highest paying customers, where they came in from, you can look at the qualities of those people and use that to refine your future advertising. So as you can see, all of this is connected, financials, digital marketing, more connected than ever before. It's a very, very exciting time. Something else that is also connected now, which is a really exciting part of our presentation, is making sure that when you're using all this data, all this financial data, all this digital marketing data, that it's secure. So at this point, I'm really excited to have Kevin join us. He's going to talk to us about making sure that you have a secure tech stack and making sure that we don't have any security breaches when we're doing all of this important business information more online than ever before in history. Kevin, talk to us a little bit about the tech stack. Thanks, John. As I said earlier, the internet's a scary place. And the more we digitize our data and rely on it uh, to be in the cloud, or uh, reachable from home or wherever we are in the world, uh, it just gets a little worse. Every day, we're seeing more ransomware attacks and more breaches. A lot of companies now have to follow a certain compliance, uh, whether it's HIPAA, ISO, NIST, uh, even your cyber insurance now will send you a form every year that says, who's accessing your data, how are they accessing your data, and why are they accessing your data? This is called privileged access. You, you have to give certain people access to certain files as long as it's in their job title. You can't just let anybody have access to everything and hope for the best. In order to protect yourself, we're going to go through the tech stack here. There's four general layers to it, everywhere from the person sitting at the computer to the computer itself, the program they use to access the data, and then the data itself. So in order to secure the data, the best thing you can do is back that up. I am shocked how often I see companies with no backups. There's no copy of their data. They have no way to restore it. They just think because it's on their server in-house, it's going to be just fine. But you have to get that data copy out of the building. Uh, theft, fire, crypto, any of these things can hit you at any time. 
And if your data is compromised, you're stuck. There's no way to get that back. There are simple backups, there are complex backups, but no matter what you do, replicate that data, get it out of there. Also encrypting that data is important. If somebody steals your data, how many customer uh, phone numbers, social security numbers, insurance information is in there. If the data is encrypted, they can't see what's on that hard drive. Uh, that data is useless to them, and that's a good layer of protection for you to have. Most data is accessed through some sort of application, QuickBooks, um, Sage, whatever operation or whatever program you use, there needs to be a way to control who's accessing it. Complex passwords are a great way to do that. Passwords have to get more and more complex as time goes on. You can only use password one, it's too easily guessed. Uh, I'll go over how to, to set up a complex password, password here in just a little while. But now a big thing is multi-factor. Uh, multi-factor authentication is when you log into your computer, your phone dings, and you have to say, yes, that's me. Whether it's pressing a checkbox, showing it your face, using your fingerprint, it's a great way to add some biometrics to uh, your password. And then just making sure the application's updated. A lot of people skip updates because they're a pain, they take a while, but it's very important. Those updates contain patches for security holes. People are very crafty. When they want your data, they can figure out a way to get it. And a lot of companies spend a lot of money and a lot of time trying to figure out how to stop them from doing that. And then they package that up, put it in an, in an update, and then you run that. The computer that accesses your data is usually what gets compromised first. A user's going to a website that isn't secure. Their kid downloads uh, Minecraft and it's a bad copy. Uh, that Facebook post wasn't really legit those kind of things. So we want to make sure that the laptops, desktops, phones, whatever it is, are secure. And to do that, we use antivirus, uh, which has come a long way over the last few years. Now antivirus uses uh, machine learning, AI technology, all of that to watch the computer and see if what it's doing is what it's supposed to be doing. Most of them now don't just sit and say virus dot whatever extension is a virus and throws it away. It makes sure, can that file be doing what it's supposed to be doing without causing a problem? Full disk encryption follows the same method as the data encryption, encrypts the computer. If somebody steals it, it's useless to them. Whatever data you have on there uh, can't be grabbed, uh, searched, scanned, whatever they want to do with it. Your user's information is safe, your data is safe. Uh, Two-factor authentication works the same way as multi-factor authentication. You get that ding on your phone, code in your email, text message with the eight-digit code, you enter that in and it verifies that you are exactly who you are. And then operating systems are the uh, operating system updates are the same as application updates. And then the human layer is the last layer. And that's a very important thing to teach uh, everybody in the company. What does an email look like? What should it look like? Where should it come from? What should be in it? Um, just because you get an email doesn't mean it was actually meant for you. Somebody may be sending you what's called a phishing email, trying to get your password out of you, trying to get your logins out of you figure out who's in your company so they can try the same for them. So it's very important to teach people how to identify a fake email and what to do with it if they do. These security measures are critical for protecting marketing assets and any company in general, everybody, not just marketing, data security, application security, endpoint security. Keep in mind, we're going to be giving you a checklist of some of these things at the end to make sure that you can bring this back to your company. But what's most important to me on this slide, really, it's all very important, but one of the things we can control quite a bit is the human layer. If you're not doing phishing testing, security awareness training, you should 
should be. It's a great reason to share this video with your team so that they can understand some of these principles. Kevin, when we're thinking about data security through backups and data encryption, what do we need to know? Well, data security through backups is, is really just taking a copy of your data and making sure it's safe. You know, before computers, you used to take those important files, put them in a safe, uh, take them home with you, whatever the case is. We still have to do that with digital. Fire, flood, theft is always a case, whether it's hard, hard copy data or digital data. Just because you secure your in-house servers, workstations, train your users all you want, if you take that hard drive home with you, stick it in your bag and go to the bar after work, somebody can still grab that out of there and, and your data's out in the wild. So you have to make sure you have security all the way through. Data encryption is becoming a very popular uh, way to protect all your data. And that really just lets you put a, a big password, 256 character password on top of everything on your computer. So if somebody was to grab the hard drive out of your computer, plug it into theirs to see what you have, you know, QuickBook files, again, social security numbers, any of that, they won't be able to just do that. They have to know that huge password and that's a pretty hard thing to crack. Uh, here's an example of uh, multi-factor authentication. If you haven't seen this before, it just adds an extra layer to uh, your logins. You'll log into whatever website, uh, application, computer, server, whatever it is, username and password, you'll get a ding on your phone. Hey, Kevin, John, Ryan, are you logging into this computer? Yes or no? If you say no, there's a bunch of options to lock the computer. It'll stop any authentication attempts for X amount of time. Uh, if you say yes, it'll open up and you can go about your day. This is a really great way to protect your logins, especially when it uh, when you use it in conjunction with a cell phone with biometric enabled. So you can use your face, your finger, whatever the case is. It really verifies that you are that person. Everybody should have multi-factor authentication at this point. Uh, the biometrics are incredibly strong. Great way to protect uh, yourself. Talk to us a little bit about endpoint security. So the endpoint security is really where security has to focus uh, nowadays. It's everything is web connected. Your TV is connected. You name it. The refrigerator in my house has internet connectivity for whatever reason. Because of that, there's so many different entry points into a computer, uh, into a network. And what you want to do is, is try and keep those endpoints safe. Before antivirus worked off of a list. And if a file came in that was on that list, it would block that file and say, this is not safe. Nowadays, antivirus has gone to the next level. They actually refer to it as next-gen antivirus. Uh, this stuff uses artificial intelligence, behavioral detection, machine learning algorithms. They have ways to stop exploits. They can remove your computer from the network. They send all kinds of alarms to keep everything safe and secure. Because the the internet and the world is changing so fast with people trying to get data and take digital property. We need these kinds of uh, protections to just keep an eye on the computer. Is it doing what it's supposed to do? Are you working the way you're supposed to work? You know, why is this file trying to access this folder when it's never done that before? It's never tried to encrypt a file. The antivirus can see that and stop it. It's critical that everybody in your company has next-gen antivirus to ensure their computers are safe and these things are being monitored, as well as being encrypted with two-factor authentication and secured by two-factor authentication of bio-authenticators. Really, really important stuff.
Now, password security is something that I feel like also a lot of people don't pay attention to, but it's one of the one of the best ways that we can protect ourselves. Kevin, talk to us about a good password. Uh, yeah, passwords have to meet a certain complexity. Now, just because that complexity requires a capital letter, a lowercase letter, and a number, the password, password one with a capital P checks all those boxes. That doesn't mean it's a complex password. It just happens to meet all the criteria. So what you want to look at is uh, the length length of your password. Longer is better. The combination of upper, lower, special characters is also important. Try not to replace things uh, like an A in password with an at symbol. That's too easy to guess. Nowadays, we recommend a passphrase. I want to put a dent in the universe, for instance. It's a phrase that you may be able to remember a lot easier than a password full of random characters. But if you want to take it a step further, then we start removing other letters from that passphrase. We start capitalizing some stuff, adding a plus instead of a T, an exclamation mark at the end, some numbers, your old address, whatever the case is at the end. And now all of a sudden you have a complex password that's a lot easier to remember. So email and social media are two places where you can have major issues. What are some security best practices? Well, when it comes to email, you always want to be sure the email that you received is meant for you and the sender meant to send it. We all get so many emails nowadays. It's very easy just to click through the stack and see what happens or who wants what and look at this picture of my kid doing whatever. However, phishing attempts prey on that. They prey on our need to get through our email as fast as we can. Um, You get an email from the CFO that says, I need you to go out and buy $10,000 worth of uh, gift cards for our next company party. And you go, fine, and run out and do it. Really what's happening is somebody has figured out your email, asked you to go buy gift cards, which are non-refundable or traceable, and send them off to them. So now you've used company money to just give off to somebody else. and, And there you go. They also ask for passwords. They'll send you a fake email that says your password's going to expire. Click here to reset it. You follow the link. It looks like Microsoft. There's probably some typos. Um, You enter your password and now they have your password to get into your email account to finish sending more phishing account or phishing attacks, get into your servers, whatever the case is. Like I said, your bank account's the same thing. Now they can get into that. The thing to really keep an eye on is where is that link going? Is it going to Microsoft.com or is it going to Microsoft.ResetYourPassword.com? Because Microsoft may not own the domain ResetYourPassword.com. Somebody else may have bought it uh, and is trying to pretend they're Microsoft with some new website for you. You can check that by simply mousing over the hyperlink in the email. And down at the bottom, it'll come out with an entire printout of where that's sending you. If you're not expecting the CFO to ask you to go buy $10,000 worth of gift cards, then go ask him in person, call him on the phone, call them on the phone and say, do you really want me to do this? Verify that these emails are actually meant for you and you're supposed to be doing those actions. It sounds like a lot of extra work, but it will really save you in the end. And one of the things that's really on the rise is spoofing. Kevin, talk to us a little bit about what spoofing is. What, what is that? Uh, spoofing is when somebody sends an email as John, for instance, with an email address of, I'm going to take your password at passwordhack.com. There's no standard to adding a name uh, to an email address. You know, you're not the only John Lincoln out there in the world. So anybody can put that name on an email address. When that email comes across, it'll look like it's from John Lincoln. If you don't know, uh, it'll look like it's from John Lincoln. You can verify that by going up into the email and just clicking on his name. It'll show you the full email address. And you know that John Lincoln 
is not at whatever domain it just came from. It's a big thing now. People are spoofing emails constantly. You really have to be vigilant about checking where that email is from. And in some cases, it actually looks like it is from an email address that is the one that it's sending it from. It might actually look like it's from um, a, a company email address, but it's not. How do they go that extra mile? There is a way to set up servers that can send as a specific domain without uh, actually owning that domain. Uh, they generally get down, shut down pretty quickly, but in that 24 to 48 hours, it, uh, it can be quite a problem for the company. There are a measure of uh, securities you can put in place, um, SPF records for one, that just tells the receiving email server to go verify that the server the email came from is legit and it's supposed to be coming from there. If it is, then they'll allow the email through. If it's not, it goes straight to the spam. And so everybody, you know, one, one rule of thumb, uh, you know, that, that I, I, I think is, is good is, you know, don't assume every email that comes in is spam. It's spam by default. It's not if it's verified and be very careful with the links that you're clicking on. So what happens if something does go the wrong way? Somebody clicks on something they shouldn't, you're hacked. What do you do? The very first thing you do is shut down the system. Whether it's your desktop, uh, server, web server, whatever the case is, turn it off. These viruses need some time to replicate, scan the, the network, send out installers, that kind of thing. The faster you shut it down, the less damage that's going to be done. Shut it down, disconnect it from the network, and then troubleshoot it that way. You can fix that vulnerability with it being offline, or if you have to create another separated network where it can't touch any of your main systems to bring it online to get tools or whatever needs to be done, you can do that. But the very first thing, shut it down and then figure out how to go about fixing the problem, removing the virus, dealing with whatever data may have gone out. And then you need to notify those people, customers, of any data that's left the building. Even if you're not sure, it's always best to send out a notice that says, we've had a breach, we don't know who's affected, we're looking into it. That will cover you in the case of various lawsuits or anything like that. And it's it's good just to let your customers know that something happened. If somebody wants in bad enough, they can you'll get hit pretty hard and, and uh, it's best to be upfront. So first step, shut all effective systems down, fix the vulnerability and make sure you're notifying everybody about mm -hmm. what's going on. Ryan and Kevin, I want to thank you so much for investing your time in helping people today learn financials. And then in addition to that, learn how to be better about their cybersecurity. Everybody who's listening, if you would like to get access to a checklist of all the things we've covered today, specific action items, go ahead and send an email to opportunity at ignitevisibility.com. We will be happy to send you the checklist download so that you can access that and that you can improve uh, your digital marketing, cybersecurity, as well as financials. Also, if you would like to speak with Ryan, Kevin, or myself, uh, we will make sure to connect you through that email address as well. We'd be happy to push you in touch with any of these gentlemen, help you with your digital marketing, financials, or cybersecurity. Ryan and Kevin, as we're closing out today, one last question for you. What's kind of uh, one of the main takeaways you want people to have as they're going into 2022, 2023 on the financial side, Ryan, would you mind answering first? Yeah, look at your data and in the information you get, it should be consumable, simple, actionable. If it's none of those three things, it's the wrong data. So simplify it and do something with it when you see it. 
Absolutely love that. I love that you're bringing really good intelligence that's customized to a business through financial reporting. Everybody strongly recommend RG Alliance. We've worked with them for a while. Go ahead and check them out. From my perspective, I would say match your digital marketing goals and dashboards to your financial systems. And then in addition to that, making sure that everything is 100% secure because that is a huge potential threat. Kevin, from the cybersecurity side, what's a couple things you want people to take away from this today? Um, everybody should be vigilant. Make sure that email is for you. Make sure the link you're clicking on is, is really going to where it's supposed to be and change your passwords. Awesome. Great stuff, Kevin. Everybody, Kevin from the Computer Admin, Ryan from RG Alliance, send us an email at opportunity at ignitevisibility.com to get your checklist. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.